Living Time by Dr. Morris Nickel and The Integration of the Life. So it's Living Time and the Integration of the Life by Dr. Morris Nickel. Am I confused? No, not at all. I just like to change things up. Do I like to change things up? Probably not. The last sentence where we left off on the last one was, Is your love mere state or more? You must love beyond yourselves, so you must learn to love. I don't think there's anything in any esoteric teaching that is more important. I believe that if you learn to love more than just a state, the state of falling in love, that insanity that people go through, that romantic thing, but to love beyond yourself, I believe that if you do that, everything else will fall into place. Oh, like, you ever watch these things where they set up a billion dominoes? Okay, couple thousand dominoes and they push one and they all go down in this big pattern. I think it's like that. I think love is the first domino. You push that one down, you get that one handled, all the rest will fall into place. I know that to the intellectual and to the skeptic, that all seems like oversimplified nonsense. But I've been doing this a long, long time. And it all gets simpler and simpler or more and more simple. As you go on, it doesn't get more complex. It gets more simple until it's finally reduced down to this, just this very simple formula. Love beyond yourselves. Learn to love. What kind of ideas help us to change our relation to state? Well, ideas that don't come from our ordinary state of consciousness. We've seen that the sense of I, as Tennyson and Ramsey experienced it, is accompanied by another feeling of time or by the entry of the feeling of eternity and recurrence. Gurdjieff was fond of saying, you have to grab the rope that is just above you, it's hanging just above you. That rope is always hanging just above you because that rope is now. That's what he meant by that. He didn't say that because what would it matter anyway? No matter what people say, either you're going to get it or you're not going to get it. If people want to understand, they will understand. If they don't wish to understand, if they wish to argue or defend their position or support themselves in their nonsense, they'll never understand because that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to be right and to stay the same. But if you truly, honestly have taken a look at yourself and you see what you really are and where your life is going, you're going to want transformation. You're going to want to change your level of being because you have learned that your consciousness, your level of being, attracts your life. It determines what kind of life you have, what kind of life you will have. And once you learn that, nothing is more important than altering your consciousness and altering your level of being, expanding it, raising it, as it were. Once you're there, you have to start to understand that, well, no, you do understand that you're flawed, that the problem in life is not other people. The problem in life is not what happens to you. The problem in life is what you do about it, how you respond to it. And all of this, like I said, is oversimplification to people who want a formula. They want 12 steps or 4 steps or 7 steps or whatever people want. They all want this formula. And here's the formula. If you really want the formula, you must love beyond yourselves. You must learn to love. And this is conscious love. And conscious love is an act of will. And it overrides our reaction to the things that happen to us in life. And let's face it, the more you are around people, the more you need love. Because people are a pain in the butt. None of us really fit together that well. 
And when you think you do, you find out in a few short months that that was all fantasy. You know, I can talk to older people like this because they go, yeah. You talk to younger people about that and they go, you're a cynic. Yeah. Call it what you want. Like, I care. I'm so involved with what other people think about me that I yawn at the thought. There may be ideas at a still higher level than these, than the ones that Tennyson and Ramsey experienced. Another feeling of time by the entry of the feeling of eternity and recurrence. So, as I was saying about Gurdjieff, he said, the rope, you have to reach up and grab the rope that's hanging above you. And that rope is your connection with eternity, your connection with higher levels. And the only way to get into eternity is up. You'll never get to eternity on the timeline because it is cyclical. It comes back on itself. So it's like a hamster wheel. All you're going to do is run around that, run around that, run around that. That's not eternity. Eternity is above that. Eternity is where things come from. Eternity is where form comes from. Eternity is formless. Where things come from, where form comes from, is from the formless. The Taoist would say, from the Tao. From nothing comes everything. I don't have to explain this to you because you already have a taste of this. You know somewhere inside of you, you know that this is true, even if you can't articulate it. And let's face it, articulating these ideas is impossible. And the only people you can ever articulate these ideas to are people who already had a taste of it. The only people you're ever going to explain what a strawberry tastes like to are the people who have tasted a strawberry. And what you can do is you can remind them of a strawberry, and then they will reach into their experience and remember. So put it back together again. But people who have never tasted a strawberry, what's the point? Well, what's it taste like? <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's a little tart, and it's a little sweet, and it's a little this. Come on. You can't do it. You can explain it all day long, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You remember Gwenka and the uh, blind guy and the duck? Oh, it's, it's white and fluffy. Oh, it's a cloud. No, 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 it's not. It's like this. It's soft and <laughs> all these different things. So he says there may be ideas at a still higher level than these. Well, duh. I don't care what level that you think you have attained or you think you are traveling in. There is so much more. There's no glass ceiling here. It is infinite. What is above us is infinite. Just like what is below us. We haven't even found what is below us yet. Subatomic particles and the different universe and the different laws of subatomic particles that just don't make sense to us. Some subatomic particle in two places at the same time. It's like, tilt, this does not compute. But in that universe, it does. So he said, but these ideas about time, eternity, and recurrence bring about a definite result. Now, this is what is so important for us. The ordinary preoccupations and anxieties of daily life are weakened by a new knowledge, by knowledge that is over and above our ordinary knowledge. I'm going to give you that simple example again that I've given you before. That is, if it's dark and you hear a sound and you imagine that there's a bear. Let's say you live up in the mountains. You imagine there's a bear got into your kitchen, your cabin, and you're terrified because bears maul people and kill them. And you don't want to run in there and confront the bear. And so, oh, you don't know what to do. You don't know. You're afraid to run out the door. You're afraid to make any noise. You're afraid to move. So you're paralyzed with fear. And then you find out it wasn't a bear at all. It was a raccoon or whatever. And it comes running out and chirps and whatever. And you go, oh, I was such an idiot. Why did I think that was a bear? It's like that. So these are the anxieties of daily life. 
are ordinary preoccupations. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to do this? Well, I want this and I want that. And these things are weakened by a new knowledge, a knowledge that is over and above our ordinary knowledge. And our ordinary knowledge is this nonsense that we're stuck in, this mud that we are mired in. New perception, new knowledge, a new sense of I, a new understanding of the universe, a change in the time sense, and, as we shall see shortly in some further examples, a new power and ratio of thought characterize a higher conscious level above that one given to us naturally, which we take as consciousness. One of the things you must have learned in all these years is that what we call consciousness is really no more than waking sleep. It's people walking around in a dream world, mechanically doing the things that they do, and there's no consciousness about it. The subconscious mind is more aware than the conscious mind. The conscious mind is fixed on whatever the senses bring to it. The subconscious mind is not preoccupied with all that nonsense. So it just takes things in. Let's look at it this way. Your memory is your memory. Which would you trust more? A recording of a conversation or your recollection of it? Okay, I rest my case. So the machine does a better job than you do. Now, your subconscious mind is like a machine, and it does a better job than your conscious mind, because your conscious mind wanders and gets distracted. Your subconscious mind doesn't. The machine is just there taking all this stuff in and recording it. This is why I tell people, be mindful of how you speak, because your subconscious mind is listening. So people who, well, okay, so all of us, the liars in life, who say, oh, yeah, I like your hair, when they really think whatever they really think. But your subconscious mind is listening. And it knows the truth, and it calls you a liar. And that is going on inside of you. We are already familiar with the view that perceives the universe in the light of a scale of reality. That means everything is real, only relatively so. The lesser reality being transformed or absorbed by contact with the greater. It's like reading. You know the alphabet. You can probably recite it. Maybe not backwards, but you can recite it forward if you sing the little song A, B, C, D, E, F, G. My point is you know the alphabet. And there are words that you know the instant you see them. You know the word. You recognize it because you have learned it. And there are words you don't know. What I'm trying to say is that the letters, the alphabet, are in scale a lesser reality that are transformed or absorbed by contact with the greater. The letters are a lesser reality to the words. The words are a lesser reality to the sentences, to the phrases. The phrases are a lesser reality to the paragraphs. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're absorbed by... You don't look at a word and say, and, A and D. A and N and D are absorbed by the greater reality of and. And, and, you don't look at and and think a lot about that. In fact, you don't think about it at all. It's just part of a sentence or part of a phrase. And you understand it as what it is because you have already learned that. So it is absorbed by contact with the greater. So any heightening of consciousness must therefore transform or do away with problems that seem very real at the ordinary level. Well, remember when you were learning your alphabet? No, you probably don't. But imagine for a moment what it was like. It was like everything else you learned. It was difficult. It took study. It took attention. It took all of the things that you didn't have a lot of. It was difficult. It was difficult to learn how to read. You may not think so now, but it was. It was difficult to learn how to type. You may not think so now, but it was. It was difficult to learn how to drive a stick shift. You may not think so now because you've never driven a stick shift. You were raised on an automatic. 
There are some people who still can't drive a stick shift. They never have. Standard transmission, I think they call it. But back in the day, we called it stick shift because you used a stick to shift instead of automatic. Well, what he's saying is that even on the scale of ordinary experience, we know something of the truth of this. In our better states, we cannot imagine why we acted as we did in our worst states. How many times have you felt remorse or regret or wish you had bitten your tongue or wanted to slap yourself for saying something so stupid? And the worst states seem unreal when we're in the better states. My God, how could I have been that stupid? Have you ever said that to yourself? Oh my God, how could I have been that stupid? It was the state you were in. Yet when we were in those states, they were real enough. Now, an idea which belongs to a level above us must have more reality than any of our ordinary ideas. Just like our better states must have more reality than our worst states. And certainly, these ideas which belong to a level above us must have more reality than any of our ordinary states that we derive from natural three-dimensional life. From going about in the world, being filled with the five senses, being filled with whatever the five senses brings us, it must therefore have the power of drawing energy out of our ordinary states. This idea is not new to you. This idea is very common to you. If you are giving in to negative emotions, which is pretty much the only emotions we have, if you're giving in to negative emotions, your energy is drained. So if you can reach up higher to better ideas, better states, then the energy that would go into the negative emotions is rerouted to the better states. So it draws energy out of the ordinary states, the negative states, and gives them to these higher states. An idea in the sense in which I am endeavoring to use this term has the power of altering our standpoint and changing our sense of things. I mentioned that the hermetic exercise of thinking of the idea of the life as living at all points has this significance psychologically. The exercise is to imitate a direct cognition at a higher level. Act as if you were a nice, loving person. Sheldon wrote a book in his footsteps. And the whole premise was, act as if you were following in the footsteps of Jesus. What would he do? What would he say? How would he deal with this? And then do that. Now, you're not Jesus. You're not even close. But if you imitate a direct cognition at a higher level, if you imitate a higher level, you imitate the awareness that this is what I think he would do. If you imitate that, the idea itself can only become direct cognition in another state of consciousness. You can't get it that way, but it will help to boost your level of consciousness, as in the recorded experiences of partial drowning when all the life is seen. Apart from the idea of time itself, the idea of recurrence, which Nietzsche called the thought of thoughts, alters us. These ideas alter us. They change us. It's like taking some kind of food or nourishment into your body when you are malnourished or not properly nourished or starving. All of a sudden you have all this energy, all this aliveness that you didn't have before. Why? Because this idea, which belongs to a cognition at a higher level, draws energy out of our ordinary thought. And if it draws it out of our ordinary thought, it draws it to itself, and it pulls us up. Nietzsche says, This mightiest of all thoughts absorbs a lot of energy which previously stood at the disposal of other aspirations. And in this way, it exercises a modifying influence. It creates new laws of motion and energy, though no new energy. It doesn't really create new laws of motion in energy. 
what it does is exposes us to higher laws in the same way that the law of aerodynamics is a higher law than the law of gravity. In other words, it transcends the law of gravity. But it is precisely in this respect that there lies some possibility of determining new emotions and new desires in man, Nietzsche says. This energy that's drawn out of our ordinary state and given to these higher states, to these higher ideas, give us the possibility of determining new emotions and new desires in ourselves. But before continuing with the subject of recurrence, I wish to digress in order to give some further examples of higher conscious states which illustrate their cognitive value and also have the energy which ordinarily flows into the small and petty things of our life is absorbed into a new sense of reality. I'm not going to comment on this. I'm just going to let him give the examples, and you'll get it from that. In the first example, one given by William James, the emphasis of the description is laid upon an increased power of the thought, thought of a higher order, eternal, in the true sense of being much fuller and more comprehensive. He describes how he had sudden and incomprehensible enlargements of the conscious field, bringing with them a curious sense of cognition of real fact. All have occurred within the past five years. Three of them were similar in type. The fourth was unique. In each of these three like cases, the experience broke in abruptly upon a perfectly commonplace situation and lasted perhaps less than two minutes. Have you ever had this experience? where you're in this commonplace situation, and all of a sudden, it's like somebody shoots you in the forehead with a diamond. And you see something, momentarily. And it's like, oh. In one instance, I was engaged in conversation, but I doubt whether the other person he was talking to noticed my abstraction. What happened each time was that I seemed all at once to be reminded of a past experience. And this reminiscence, ere I could conceive or name it distinctly, developed into something further that belonged with it, this in turn into something further still, and so on, until the process faded out, leaving me amazed at the sudden vision of increasing ranges of distant fact of which I could give no articulate account. In other words, this happened to me, and I was right there with it, but I couldn't articulate. There's no way I could give an account of it. The mode of consciousness was perceptual, not conceptual. Now, you understand the difference? It was direct perception. It was direct cognition, in a sense. Not conceptual, not just this theory, not just, oh, yes, blah, 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 blah. He wasn't thinking about this. This was just hitting him where he lived. He was taking all this in faster than his intellect could process it. In fact, he says, the field was expanding so fast that there seemed no time for conception or identification to get in its work. There was a strongly exciting sense that my knowledge of past or present reality was enlarging pulse by pulse but so rapidly that my intellectual processes could not keep up the pace. The content was thus entirely lost to retrospection. It sank into the limbo into which dreams vanish as we gradually awake. Do you remember I talked to you, not, I don't remember when, but recently, in this past few weeks, about how these things come to me? Just this sudden flash, and all of a sudden, in moments, I understand, I see, but it's not like seeing, it's just not like seeing, it's not like going to an art gallery and seeing a picture. It's not like looking at that painting on the wall and saying, oh, well, yes, there's a vase and apples and pears and blah, blah, blah. It's not like that. There's nothing intellectual about it. It's this flood of knowing. And sometimes it's pictures, but they're pictures that are four-dimensional or five-dimensional. They're not just pictures. 
with it comes sensations, not sensations so much as, yeah, see, it's impossible to articulate. And I've tried before and I fail every time, but if you've ever had the experience, you have a taste of it and you know what I'm talking about, where you're just flooded, overwhelmed with this absolute sense of this is real, this is the truth, this is universal, this is from the infinite, this comes from eternity, this is something I could stake my life on. Now, to someone purely intellectual or stuck purely in the intellect, that's crazy. But if you know what I'm talking about, then you know that there's no way to explain it to somebody who thinks it's crazy. He goes on to say, The feeling, I won't call it belief, that I had had a sudden opening, had seen through a window, as it were, distant realities that incomprehensibly belonged to my own life, was so acute that I cannot shake it off today. I have treated the phenomenon under discussion as if it consisted in the uncovering of tracts of consciousness. T-R-A-C-T-S, tracts, like tracts of land, tracts of consciousness, vast areas of consciousness that you were not aware of, and then suddenly you get a flash of awareness about it. You see something higher, you taste something higher, you smell something higher, you have the experience of something higher, and before you can really intellectually grasp it, it's fading. Is the consciousness already there waiting to be uncovered? And is it true revelation of reality? These are questions on which I do not touch. Why? Well, what's the point? Anyone who's going to ask that is not going to be able to understand it. In the subjects of the experience, the emotion of conviction is always strong and sometimes absolute. Like I said, you know it's true. Sometimes it's very strong, sometimes it's absolute. You would stake your life on it. In the next example, the writer describes how all the problems of ordinary life vanish, as Ramsey saw, in the light of higher consciousness. Now, let me give you an example. It's a crude example, but it's a good example. Let's say you cut your thumb. And let's say it's a, it's, it's a deep cut, and you're going to need stitches. And you're, oh, ow, this is the worst thing about when my neighbor was telling me the other day. He said, you see that place up there in the fascia where the two pieces of fascia come together there in the corner? He said, I said, yeah. And he said, when I was building this house, he said, I was hammering a nail there. And he said, and I pulled back and I, man, I let that hammer go. And he hit his thumb sideways like this. And the nail, the thumbnail just popped off. He said, I will never forget that. Well, there's your example. Now, as bad as that is, and let's face it, that's pretty bad. If somebody cuts your arm off, who cares about the thumbnail? You get my point? And so it's like that. And we don't often see that, that in the light of the higher, ordinary life vanishes. You know, if you think your thumbnail is a problem, and that's why they say, you know, blah, 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 because I had no shoes and then I saw a man with no feet. Your ordinary life simply vanishes in the light of higher consciousness, of a greater awareness. I don't mean of that low thing, but that's an example that's supposed to take you up if you're willing to go. The experience was produced under an anesthetic. I was all at once awake and fully conscious in a different world. It gave no sensory impressions, yet I immediately recognized it was far more real than the other world out of which I had just come. Again, this is hard to articulate. No sensory perceptions. It's because you're dealing with higher internal senses. Internal taste, internal sight, internal smell, internal hearing. It's all internal. The five senses that we know are all external, turning out on the world. But those senses can also be turned inward. Well, not those senses, but there are other senses that are inner senses and more of them. But you have to learn to use them. 
you have to learn to drag yourself away from the external, which has captured your soul and your attention. Your soul is pivotal in its action. It looks out through the five windows of the senses at the world and is glued to that. Or you rip it away and you turn it inside, you turn it within, and then you develop those senses. And for people who have not experienced this, who have not trained themselves in this, this is all theory, it's all concept. So it's meaningless to them other than just an interesting theory. Oh, that's interesting, that guy says, but blah, 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 blah. This, since my waking, there have arisen a score of mental problems which I have felt, still feel indeed, would simply vanish could they be looked at in the light of that world. Yet when I seek to picture it, it escapes like water from every form of words I fashion, and in telling of it, I realize not simply that I fail to enlighten my individual hearer, but that the words themselves are such as could not be expected to carry any clear impression. There's no way you can explain this. And that's the way it is. All of us feel that there ought to be a world different from and better than this one. My feeling is that for a moment I stood on the borderland of such a world. It was there. That was Frederick Hall, an ether vision. The triviality of what ordinarily concerns us, when seen in the light of a higher level, is also described by Spensky. Now, you know this. You know. Every once in a while I get an email from you, or you'll call me or ask me about something, and then I give you a different idea from a different level, and you feel like an idiot. Like, you want to smack yourself in the head. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. You're at, yeah. And it's trivial. Whatever it was you were worrying about, suddenly it's just so trivial in the presence of a higher idea. In the presence of a higher, more powerful idea, you laugh at your ordinary state of consciousness. This is just absurd. It's like laughing that you were afraid that that noise in the kitchen was a bear. You're not laughing when it happens. But later, when you're in this higher state where you realize that's nonsense, it's just funny. It's trivial. Well, Spassky formulates the psychological view that it is our ordinary feeling of I that causes us to understand everything wrongly. The first sensation of approaching a higher level of consciousness, he says, is the disappearance of our ordinary feeling of I. We must recall here how much Buddhist teaching concerns itself with the wrong feeling of I. We all did Vipassana. You all know that our feeling of I comes from our body. And that when you begin to separate yourself from your body, separate your consciousness from your body, and see whatever's happening with the body as just arising and passing away, of no import whatsoever, your sense of I begins to change. And when your sense of I begins to change, everything changes. All reality changes, because the reality of higher levels is a reality that is beyond this reality that we're in, but it includes this reality that we're in. It's just that it's not as important. You have a pain in your back that would make most people, while you're sitting, meditating, most people would get up and run away. Well, that's enough of that. But that's meaningless to you because you've been trained that it's just a sensation and that if you observe it, you will separate from it and it will no longer be you. In other words, you will no longer be identified with it you will no longer be identified with the pain in your back. You will say, oh, this is called the sensation of an uncomfortable back or whatever. And you're actually encouraged and trained to see the sensations, to get into the sensations and to identify the sensations until you are completely detached from it, non-identified. It's an incredible exercise and it works. 
But this is the Buddhist teaching concerns itself with the wrong feeling of I. This may produce a sense of fear just because we associate the feeling of I with so much that is worthless and relatively unreal. Your body. In reality, your body is going to perish. That's a fact. You don't know anybody that's 800 years old that's living in a body because they just don't last. So it's unreal, relatively. So when we approach greater reality, we seem to be disappearing, turning to nothing. You lose your body. What are you? How do you, how do you, if you look in the mirror, what do you see? How do you know yourself? This was his first sensation, but in subsequent experiences, the disappearance of the ordinary feeling of I produced an extraordinary calmness and confidence, which nothing can equal in our ordinary sensations. Now, think back to Vipassana when you were most, when you were least identified with your body, and the incredible sense of calmness and confidence that you had. It was like, you talked about death as, death as if it's like, so? That's not how you feel today. <clears throat> I seem to understand at that time that all the usual troubles, cares, and anxieties are connected with the, un with the usual sense of I, and result from it and constitute and sustain it. All of these things, it's like this vicious cycle. All of these things that, that antagonize this sense of I also build it. They reinforce it so that we feel more and more embedded in this I, and more and more anxious, and more and more fearful, and more and more paralyzed, and that just makes it more and more. It's like just this vicious cycle. And this is what Ospensky is saying here. Therefore, when this I disappeared, all troubles, cares, and anxieties disappeared. It then seemed to him that it seemed strange that we could take such a terrible responsibility on ourselves by bringing I into everything and that our ordinary sense of I was something almost abnormal, a kind of fantastic conceit, which bordered on blasphemy, as if each one of us called himself God. I felt then that only God could call himself I, and that only God was I. I am that I am. Moses walks up to the burning bush, well, who should I say sent me? I am that I am. It's like, you can't say I am that I am. Well, you can say it, but it doesn't mean diddly. I am that I am? No, you're not. You are that you are right now, but in five nanoseconds, you'll be somebody else. You have this will now, but what will you will in five minutes? You have this thought now, but what will you think in two seconds? You have this feeling now, but what will you feel in an hour? So you can't say that. You're not the same yesterday and today and forever. You're just not. And this is what Ospensky is saying here in the new model, in the new model of the universe. As a result of his experiences, he perceived that the reaching of higher reality was only possible through a change in the feeling of I. Couldn't agree with him more. Now, in the above records of higher conscious states, we find no mention of recurrence. Whereas in Ramsey's experiences, the fact of recurrence was strongly felt. Yet much in Ramsey's experiences corresponds to what we find in the above descriptions. In the lifting of consciousness, in other words, different cognitive levels are touched into which the perception of living time, the changed feeling of I, the increase of mental grasp, the sense of everlastingness, the feeling of self-existence, the perception of recurrence, etc., they all do not equally enter. Any more than if you were to come into this house through the front door, you're going to see something entirely different than if you come in through the garage door, or if you come in through the back door. You come in through the back door, you're going to see 
What is that room in there? The family room? The family room in the kitchen. You come in through the garage door, you're going to see the family room, but not the kitchen. You come in through this door, you see the living room and the entryway there, and the stairs leading upstairs, and you don't know anything else about it. If you have three people coming through those three different doors, and they're explaining what the house is like, they're all going to explain some different house. You will have no idea, really, what the whole house is like. And then you've got to go upstairs to find out the rest of it. So... This is how I explain the differences. They're all entering through the different doors. The seven mansions also mention this. And then you also have to consider if someone looks into a window of a house and they're a thief, all they see is what they could steal. But if someone else looks through, they may see something entirely different. Life is consciousness. And this is what he's saying, and this is what all these people are saying, and they're saying that there are certain ideas that act as like, I don't want to say hot air balloons because the skeptics will say, yeah, it's all hot air. <laughs> but they act like, yes, they lift you up, but I don't know how to say it. Helium. They act like helium. They just lift you up. And they also change your voice. And trust me, when you move into a different feeling of I than your ordinary feeling of I, your voice, and I don't mean your voice, I mean your poetic voice, the voice of the author, changes. It may not sound different, or it may sound very different. It changes, yeah, from inside. These things are so... They're easy to talk about with people who understand them, and they're impossible to talk about with people who don't, or nearly impossible. But people who don't understand them but wish to understand them, it makes it a little easier. But people who simply do not wish to understand it, they just want to make it wrong... It's like, oh, please, save your breath. I'm not interested. I have a skeptical eye in there, too. And 40 years ago, it had all the arguments that you're now presenting. And that's all I can say. And I walked past them then, and I'm not looking back now. I dealt with them. I became satisfied that I dealt with them in the best way that I could. I've heard them over and over again out of the mouths of different people for over 40 years. And quite frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.